0: Hey, when I was in elementary school, we had a choice. We could either be in a couple of groups. And uh, the, the better groups were these two specific groups. The first one was called the, uh, the cool in the gang group, okay? And uh, the Joe Cool group is what it was called. They got to wear denim jackets around school. That was popular in my day, right? And uh, they were like the, the cool kids, and everybody like looked up to them, and, and they were just, everybody wanted to be, you know, part of the, the, the Joe Cool gang. Then there was the second group, it was the Fonzies. You remember the Fonz? All right, listen, you can't have a good sermon unless you talk about the Fonz from Happy Days. Well, these were the people that wore the leather jackets, and they just walked around going, hey, to everything, right? Well, I was a Fonzie. Uh, I know that surprises you. And uh, I was a part of that group, and, and, and I did it for a couple of weeks, and then wearing a leather jacket in the Florida weather, man, that was like murder, So I, like, ditched that and ditched that group real quickly, and I wasn't a part of a group of anything like that anymore. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about a a passage in Mark chapter 8. Go ahead, if you have your Bibles with you, go to Mark chapter 8, New Testament, uh, second book of the New Testament. If you've got your Bible apps on your phones or your tablets with you, if you're watching at home, however you look at the Scripture, go park at Mark chapter 8.0. And we're going to be in verse 34, 35-ish around there. So we're going to get there in just a second. So this morning we're going to talk about not, not the Joe Cool gang, and we're not going to talk about the Fonzies, but we're going to talk about something that Jesus said was very important for us because we're to be involved in a part of something, right? We are called to be a part of something very instrumental. So let me just set up this passage in Mark chapter 8. Something happens before this little dialogue that goes on that we're going to look at. Peter um, has just had this confession of faith. Jesus has gone through this question, who do people say that I am? And they, they, the disciples, they kind of go through, well, you're Elijah, you're, you're John the Baptist. We think that you might just be a great prophet. And Jesus asks this very important question, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The son of the living God. It's called the the proclamation or the confession of Peter. And it's at that moment that Peter and the disciples actually begin to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. So that's going to pick up where we are here. So this has just happened. Peter has said, we're going to be a part of this great movement of God called the kingdom of God. We're all in. We're not going to be championing the things of the world, but we're going to follow God. And Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, let me ask you, does that that passage bother you at all? Is it, is it a little unnerving? I mean, Jesus speaks these words that are, that are so powerful. It's a it's hard passage. It's, it's like hardcore. You have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross, and you have to follow him. You know, I, I, I read this, and the first thing that comes to my mind is, instead of Jesus encouraging people to be his follower, he's discouraging them. I mean, why not just say like he did when he called the first apostles by the sea? Hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Come on. (laughs) This is pretty like in your face. And it's important. And we need to be reminded of the importance of this today. Why does he say you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me if you want to be my disciple? Because there's a cost. There's a cost when you follow Jesus, amen? There's a cost when you say that I want my life to be different. There's a cost when you say that I want to just shed myself of the things of this earth and I'm gonna follow the Lord. You see, too often uh, we become apathetic in the church. Too often church folk, we become apathetic. We, we kind of like get in this little groove about, well, you know, I go to my church and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, it feels comfortable, I like it. Uh, It doesn't cost me much to be a church person anymore. But the question is, we shouldn't be apathetic at all. Jesus says that the church is a creation of God. And because God created it, it's of great significance and of great importance. And we are to be a part of the church in the greatest level of commitment possible. Why? Why? because it is a creation of God, and God says we are to do this. Paul writes this, he says in Ephesians two, consequently you are no longer foreigners and, and aliens. So Paul is saying when you become a follower of Jesus, you're not just an ordinary person. You are a specific person. You are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So all of the work and the words and the prayers and the blood and everything of the apostles and of the prophets, this foundation called the church has been built upon that with Christ Jesus as what? The chief what? Cornerstone. He is the cornerstone. And if you are any knowledgeable of a builder, you know the importance of a cornerstone and he is what holds it together. In him, the whole building, the church, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul says that when we become part of the church, that God is doing something great with that. And we lean into the chief cornerstone, that when we can't be the church in the way God wants us to, we can lean into Jesus and Jesus will make it right, right? And we become the church because of Christ. You see, people select churches for various reasons. Some people will only go to a church because they like the pastor. The pastor leaves, the people leave. People, they like pastors. People also pick a church because it has specific offerings or programs. I have children, I have students, they have a student ministry, they have a children's ministry, let's take our family there. People also choose churches based upon church size because you know, if a church is big, then it has to be successful, it has to be the right thing, but yet we see other people. Other people select a church because they understand the struggle. They understand what it means to be discipled. They understand that the imperfections of who the people of the church are and yet they lean into that and they become a part of a church because they see Jesus' spirit there and they say, I'm all in. I wanna be a part of that. Whatever it takes, count on me. I wanna be a part of that because Jesus is the chief cornerstone. When Jesus spoke the words on the Sermon on the Mount, we quickly understand a couple of things. We quickly understand that the church is not an institution. The church is not to be bogged down in bureaucracy. The church is not stained glass windows. The church is not the genre of music that is selected, whether it's hymns or, or instruments or contemporary or traditional. It's none of that. Jesus doesn't talk about any of that. But what he says is, the church and the people of the church are to be something. We're to be salty. We're to be the salt of the earth. Here's what he says. The people are to be the salt of the earth. And then he says, not only are we to be salty, but we are to be the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, Jesus said. He says, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and praise God your Father in heaven. The question becomes as the church, are we being lights? Are we being beacons? Are we being salty to add flavor that brings people to Jesus? Are we bringing the light of Christ so that people have a pathway to get to God? Is that the church that we're becoming part of? One of the things that I love about the United Methodist Church is that we are truly striving to live out the words of Jesus. We know that we're not a perfect church. If anybody tells you they're a part of a perfect church, it's a lie because the church is filled with sinners. What makes it perfect is Christ. We are not a perfect church We are trying to live out the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, and we recognize that we are not there yet. In fact, John Wesley said, we are constantly working towards our salvation. We are moving on to perfection, that if we cannot achieve perfection in this life, we are guaranteed to achieve perfection in eternal life. What is perfection? It's to fulfill the great commandment to love God with all of our heart and our neighbor as ourselves. And Wesley was very sensitive as he talked about this. We are are called to be living witnesses for the church of Jesus Christ. And that's why it saddens me deeply when people choose to leave their churches and the reasons that they give. I wonder, I wonder, are they reasons that would make God cry in heaven? We leave our churches because we fight over who deserves God's grace and who doesn't. We fight over sexuality issues of whether you're straight or you're gay. We leave our churches because of that. We leave our churches because women and people of color fill pastoral and leadership positions of the church. And no, no, they're not supposed to do that because the scripture doesn't support that, as some would say. But yet we leave our churches because we bring that to the mix. We leave our churches because we have to wear masks during pandemics. People leave churches because of that. We leave our churches because we say that the church is too involved in social activism. Let me ask you, look at the life and the words of Jesus. Was he not active in the social activism of his time? Of course he was. Why was it so important for Jesus to make this pronouncement in Mark chapter eight? Why did Jesus cut to the quick with these words? Why did he liken following him is difficult? It's not easy, he says. You know, Doesn't Jesus love everybody? Isn't he the feel good, woo, Jesus? I mean, holding lambs and kids on his lap and bouncing them, singing nursery rhymes? You see, what we find here is Jesus does say, yes, my, my yoke is easy my burden is light. He says to come to him when we need to be comforted, that doesn't change. But Mark 8 is a call to action. Mark 8 is a, is a check and a balance. Mark 8 is, an, is a wake-up call. Is the church alive? Are the people alive? Are the people truly following Jesus in the way in which they are called. But Jesus said there's something about being his disciple. He says it's not easy. He said two things. You must deny yourself. You you gotta deny yourself. That's called surrender. That means it's not about me. It means it's not about you. It means it's not about us as individuals. We surrender that. We say that we are not the leader, but we will follow the leader, and that is the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Surrender is something that we have to remove ourselves from. It makes us give ourselves up to someone else. So, to be a disciple of Jesus, you can't put yourself on the throne. Jesus must be on the throne. And there we are below the throne. He says, not only deny yourself, but he says, take up your cross. Take up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? I mean, Last I looked, I, I wasn't in Publix and people were like lugging crosses. I mean, I didn't see that. Maybe that's why the checkout lines are slow sometimes. I don't know. But, but what does that mean to, to carry your cross? It means following Jesus is a burden. I don't know how else to put it. You know, I have people who say to me all the time, as soon as I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior, my life's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be fine. Everybody's going to love me. No, 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 no doesn't work that way. In fact, when you accept Jesus Christ, it can cause strife in your families. It can cause strife in your marriage. It can cause strife in your neighborhoods and in your schools. When you follow Jesus, it's a choice. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It's a commitment. Are you making the commitment to do this. I mean, look at the commitment that Jesus did. The scriptures say that Jesus loved the church so much, what, that he died for it. Are you and I that committed to the church? Are we that committed to the creation of God called the church? Are we willing to die for the church? Jesus did. The Apostle Paul says that that, that it's also something else that God has bestowed upon each of us gifts, and those gifts are to be used for the purpose of the kingdom. Paul likens it uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body, you know, the eye and the ear and the elbow and the heart and the lung and all that, that everything is important, but one cannot survive without the other, that all of them it takes to have a healthy body. And Paul says that that God has given us gifts. God has given us abilities and talents. God has given us uh, all sorts of things. And the question becomes, are we using those gifts given by God for the glorification of God through his church? Paul writes this. He said the fact that God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be, if, there were all, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body, there's one church, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body. We're supposed to not have division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And if one part suffers every part suffers along with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices. God has placed in you, God has placed in me, talents, gifts, opportunities. And the question becomes, how are we exercising that? You see, when Jesus gave birth to the church, it wasn't like it was supposed to become some spectator sport. He didn't say just line the stadiums and watch a few people down on the field move the ball, so to speak. He says that we are to be engaged and we are to be involved, but he gives it with a warning that to be my disciple is going to cost you because you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. You know, I I love the church. I I have served, I have given my life, most of my life in service to God's church. Why? Because God called me to do this. God called me to surrender life and to lead and to be a minister of the gospel in his holy church. And I have given my life to do that. And and, and in that lifetime, I have seen imperfections in the church. See, oftentimes, some of us get this idea that the church is supposed to be perfect And whenever there's a struggle or whenever there's a decision that has to be made that's difficult, we get all shaken up about it. Oh, I can't do it like Dr. Robert does. Oh, and we don't know how to act. But listen, through the years, I've seen the imperfections of the church. I've seen my own imperfections as a pastor, and I've seen imperfections of the laity as well. We've all been contributors of an imperfect church. I've seen glorious works where the church has been a huge witness in its community and mission and purpose. I've seen that. I've I've witnessed churches become excited and on fire, ready to take charge and make a difference in their communities. And I've seen churches become tired, depressed, and without energy You know, and it's almost like a a dud firecracker when you light the fuse. It fizzes real big and then it goes, there's no bang. Why is that? Maybe because you and I who are part of the church aren't living into Mark chapter 8. Are we understanding the commitment that it takes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ you know, today marks a, a huge day in the life of the church. It's a rite of passage, uh, especially here at St. Paul United Methodist Church, where Josh Van Dyne and Eli Valentine, these two young men st- uh, sitting right here, are going to be confirmed at our next service at 11. And what does that mean to be confirmed? It means that, that they have, have dedicated their life and time into studying and understanding and being open to the Spirit's movement about how they are to be drawn into a deeper relationship with their Creator, with their Lord and Savior, and with the Holy Spirit. It's an opportunity today for them to pronounce their faith, to say publicly, I am a Christian, and the church to, be, to bestow upon them the honor of what it means to be confirmed. I'm so grateful uh, for Allison Van Dyne, she's here as well, who is our youth director, and the time that she has put into every confirmation class, and especially this one. I had the honor of, of leading, helping to lead a couple classes, and, and these two young men, I am just blown away by not only their love for Jesus, but their commitment and their, and their understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But listen, don't, don't let me represent this. Let's take a look and watch from their own point of view.
1: I'm Joshua Van Dyne, I'm 12 years old and I go to Clearwater Fundamental Middle School. Um, I like to play baseball, I like to play guitar a lot. I'm the younger brother out of the two, um, it's not that good, i um, getting picked on a lot, but there, it's pretty good though having an older brother to be there um, when, whenever you need it though. My name is Elijah
2: Valentine, I, go to, I am 11 years old and I go to Clearwater Fundamental Middle School. I like playing basketball and football with my friends, and my favorite subject in school is guitar class. Uh, I was baptized when I was one or two years old, and I've been
1: a part of treehouse ministry and now lighthouse ministry. My parents um, were married here. I was baptized when I was about six months old. Um, I've gone through Sun preschool. I've been a part of the treehouse ministry with Katie, and now I'm in the lighthouse as a middle schooler. In confirmation I've learned about the different types of grace. They are um, justifying, sanctifying, and provenient. We learn what the
2: Methodist churches are and John Wesley and the traditions of
1: the Methodist church and how it came to be. The three general rules of the church are to do no harm, to do good, and attend the audiences of God. I've learned about the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, and basically, what that is, is
2: you start with scripture, and then the next three are reason, experience, and tradition. I'm really excited to be a member of this church because I'm thinking it's going to be better than when I was not officially a member.
1: It's been pretty fun going to confirmation with Eli because somebody that I already know, and it's like we. Get each other, and we know like what we can each do to like learn more and learn better together.
2: Uh, I think it's been fun doing
1: it together. Was better than doing it alone. I just want to thank the whole community and the whole church for supporting us on our way through confirmation and helping us grow more in our faith. And I just really thank you guys so much.
0: Amen to that. Hey, i want to I want to ask Josh and Eli to, to come up here for a second, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to participate because some of you won't be able to be at the confirmation service at 11, but because you are a part of their church and they're a part of your church, I want to give you an opportunity to be a part of praying over them. So this is Josh Van Dyne, and this is Eli Valentine, and uh, Eli is the son of Matt and Dr. Tara Valentine, and Josh is the son of our very own Bobby and Allison Van Dyne who are folks here, part of our church staff. So congregation, um, let me invite you, if you're able to stand, and I want you to symbolically extend your arm out um, as you are praying a prayer. Those of you that are live streaming, if you would stand as well and extend your arm out as we pray over these uh, two young men. Loving God, we are grateful for what confirmation means, and most importantly, for the work that you are doing in the lives of these two young men. Bless Josh and Eli. God, just put the fire of the Holy Spirit inside of them. Let them become the life of the church and allow us to relive our faith and excitement of the church through them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys go ahead to the left there. Amen. I you can show your appreciation? Sit back down. Let's sit back down. So confirmation... Confirmation isn't just about these individuals that are being confirmed into the church, but, but it's also an opportunity for you and I, who are a part of the church, the local church and Church Universal, for us to recall the commitment that we made, for us to reconnect to the vows that we made when we became a part of the church. So, so when you became a part of the Christian church, uh, you likely— Made a couple of proclamations. You renounced the spiritual forces of wickedness, you rejected the evil powers of this world, and you repented of your sin. You also accepted the freedom and power that God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in all forms that they present themselves. That's called free will. You confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, you put your whole trust in His grace in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. For those of you that are part of the United Methodist Church, when you became a United Methodist Christian, you also said that you will accept the general rules of the church. You said that you would accept the first general rule, which is to do no harm. You heard Josh talk about this in the video. And Paul says, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law, that's what he writes in Romans 13. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement said that that means, to to do no harm means to avoid gossip, slander, injustice, and abuse that will derail you from living your life in Christ. So that's what that means, to do no harm. He also says that that you accepted, uh, when you became a part of the United Methodist Church, our second general rule, which is to do good which means to avoid the mistreatment of other people. So you made a proclamation to make sure that you were a person who honors the general rule to do good, to, to avoid any mistreatment of others. As United Methodists, we are called to seek out acts of justice. We are called to instill kindness and actively strive to make a difference in the world. And that helps Christians grow in their faith, why? Because that's what Jesus did. And Wesley believed that we should do good to ourselves by living simple and loving lives. Wesley said we are to strive daily to live into Jesus' commandment to love as we have been loved. And that means that um, we are called to, to move forward to the third of the general rules of the church. When he became a part of the United Methodist Church, You also took an oath to uphold the third general rule, which is to attend upon the ordinances of God. What are the ordinances of God? Worship. You said, I'll be active in worship. I will participate. I will be there, whether it's online or in person. Worship is not an afterthought. I will support and be part of a worshiping community. You made that pledge. It also means that attending the ordinances of God are holy communion, reading the scriptures, and also moving forward into a deeper level of discipleship. Those are the commitments that you made to be a part when you became a part of St. Paul United Methodist Church. And then being a part of this church, if I brought you in, I asked you to take additional vows. Remember, I said, you know, pastors are allowed to ask a couple more things. And so I'm calling upon all of you who were part of this community faith before I got here in 2011, to also do the same. And, and that is that, that you wanna to strive to welcome the unchurched to attend and to love others, that you want to be a part of what the church is. Now, we came out not long ago with our church values, so being a part of this local church also means that you will live into our core values as a church. These young men as conferments, they're prepared to do this. The question is, are we? We, we, our core value is that we love God and others, that we love because we are loved. We recognize in 1 John, we love because God first loved us. We strive to be authentic. We live our life in the ways in which Jesus has taught us. That is the way we live our life. And Jesus said of all the rules and regulations of what evolves around life, there's only one that we need to be reminded of. What is that? Love the Lord God with all of your heart and everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. We believe generosity is the heart of God. We get to give. So part of St. Paul United Methodist Church means that we are a generous people. We, We are better together, and we understand that we are not to be alone, but that you and others belong here, and we do whatever it takes to lead people to Jesus Christ. So you see, that's what it means to be a part of the church. That's what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter eight. Now, some, have, some folks hear this. Well, there's membership vows, and then there's general rules of the church, and then there's core values that we're supposed to live into, some are thinking, that, that's too much. I, I didn't sign up for that. That's, that's, you know, that's just, wow, that's just too big of a commitment. And some people will have to pray about that commitment. And I'm calling upon you to pray about that commitment and re up your commitment and be rededicated to those vows that you took to be a part of the church and to live life in such a way upon those Jesus based values. You know, some of you today is all, have also been contemplating being a part of the St. Paul family. And those vows and everything that we just talked about, you're like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. I want a church that lives that. So we're gonna have an opportunity to offer another Discover St. Paul, which is a gathering with me, and we'll have an opportunity to talk about what it means to be a part of the local church and the church universal. And that's gonna be held on Wednesday, the 16th of June, and it's gonna be at 630 And we're gonna offer that as a hybrid. So that means that uh, it'll be a room here on campus that you can come be a part of if you wanna talk about becoming a member of this church. But we'll also offer it uh, via Zoom. So if you wanna stay home, you can do that as well. Um, Just let us know on your Connect card that you're interested in that. Send us an email this week, and we'll be happy to make sure that we get you connected. So let me ask you this morning, Mark chapter eight, Jesus said, To be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So let me ask you, do you love your church? Will you use the gifts that God has given you to usher in the kingdom's purpose in our lifetime or in the lifetimes yet to come? Will you do it with a joyful heart and serve? But will you also protect the unity of the church by acting in love toward others? Will you share the responsibility of the church? by participating in the life of the church, praying for its growth, inviting the unchurched to attend, and warmly welcoming those who visit? Will you serve the ministry of this church by being uh, put into the game, so to speak, by your pastor and lay leadership teams? Will you serve Christ? Will you support the testimony of this church by attending faithfully, living a godly life, and by giving regularly, Let me ask you again, do you love your church? Will you deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow Jesus? Jesus loved the church and he died for it. Will you?